Hello everyone. Welcome to the Ivy Academy podcast, where we discuss career topics in leadership and organizations, unpack the latest research in the field, and look at trends across different settings for insights to share with our audience. My name is Marcy Ross, and I'm the Director of Learning Design and Strategy at the Ivy Academy. We at uh, Ivy Academy acknowledge the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Adirondack, and Lenape peoples as the original storytellers and the caretakers of the land on which we are situated. We commit to honoring their past, present, and future. I am accompanied by two good friends of the Ivy Academy, Jody and Shaquille, both of whom are members and contributors to the Ivy Academy coaching community. Jody is a leadership coach and a consultant whose passion is to help actualize and achieve goals of both life and work. Jody is connected from Calgary. Shaquille is an experienced business leader, consultant, and a leadership coach. Shaquille is MBA grad of 2000, and he's connecting from Ottawa. Jody and Shaquille, let me set the stage for what the conversation we'd like to have today. In our live stream events, we often bring attention to themes and topics that are important to leaders and organizations. Sometimes we talk about an issue that is very topical, such as COVID-19, like it was for two years uh, on top of everyone's mind. And sometimes we talk about issues that are not on top of on, uh, on top of everyone's mind, but they should be. For instance, we had a dialogue last summer about cybersecurity. Today's talk topic is arguably one that affects everyone, everywhere, yet in different ways. Work-life balance has long been recognized as a key factor in creating and maintaining a sustainable, productive, energized individual life, work both at work and at home. Work-life balance is an umbrella term, encompassing many of the factors connecting the daily dynamics of paid work, what we call the professional lives, and a broad array of non-work activities, so to speak, our personal lives. The idea of balance is achieved when harmony or equilibrium between work and other life domains is viable and sustainable. Conversely, imbalance is a result of the collision between the two aspects, unsatisfactory and unsustainable combination of the demands of work and non-work activities. In today's session, we want to attend to three broad questions. Number one, how do we better understand this imbalance? How does the balance or imbalance notion play out differently? For instance, we do recognize that gender realities of work-life balance are different. Number two, what critical factors contribute to the unsustainable or unsatisfactory combination of work and non-work activities? And lastly, the third question, what can we do in response individually and of course, collectively? So Jody, let me begin with you. And uh, first get a sense of how do you think about the results that came up from uh, the poll? Yeah, I think it's great. Well, I think it's great. I shouldn't say that. I think it's uh, good that some people have, they feel like they have some opportunity to to have this control. I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out in a larger community. Yeah, but my, my question to you is that um, in your profession as a coach, I suspect that this question comes up pretty frequently. Uh, tell us what you've discovered when you talk to your clients about this work-life balance or imbalance. Yeah, thanks, Mazzy. And, and first, before I start, I just I want to acknowledge that I'm participating from Mokinsis in Calgary, um, the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy. So thanks for that beautiful introduction as well, too. So um, yeah, in my work, even as, a, as a, a leader and as a coach, I sort of see this, this idea of work-life imbalance. Uh, part of the problem is that we do often look at it as separate things. You know, we, we look at work versus life as separate. You know, we each have 24 hours in a day. We all have work obligations. We all have personal commitments. Somehow we have to figure out how to get that all done. Plus we want to have this sense of satisfaction, right? So through my work, anytime this concept of work-life imbalance comes up, I sort of, I find it falls within one of three buckets. And when I offer these three buckets, I call them disconnection, misalignment, or time realism. Um, I offer the, these as a way to 
to reframe this idea of work-life imbalance. So let, let me just tell you what I mean. Okay, so disconnection. Disconnection means, uh, if you think about it, you know, there's a there's a separation or a divide or a disconnect between what's meaningful to someone and how work connects to that. So it can happen for one of two reasons. Either we don't, we're not clear what's important to us. You know, it's, um, we're not clear of what's meaningful. Um, you know, someone hasn't taken the time to clarify that. Um, so they may know that they may know that they're unhappy, but they have no idea what would make them happy. So how can we possibly live a life that feels good or where we feel like we are valuable if we don't know what that is? Like if we don't know how we, we bring meaning. Um, the second reason for disconnection is where we actually just forget to connect. Like we actually focus focus on the bad things and we don't really look at the good things. You know what I mean? You know, we don't pay attention or connect how work really supports what's meaningful to us. An example, you know, for me, I know if that it's important for me to work with others, to build others, to learn from others. If I get stuck focusing on the, you know, the problems or the irritations of my role, I become disconnected from the fact that I get to do that. It, that adds to that struggle of and that feeling of imbalance. Um, so disconnection, the, another bucket uh, is misalignment. Misalignment is really when people know what's important to them, they're clear, but then what they're doing or their actions are actually misaligned with that. So again, using me as an example, if I think it's, if I know what's important for me to work with and build other people, if I'm spending a lot of time on my own or I'm not taking the time to do that, um, I'm going to feel again that imbalance. Or there may also be with some of the people I coach, uh, there may be an ethical imbalance. Like maybe if they don't believe in the company or if they don't believe in the purpose, you know, that also might be a misalignment. And I think the question we can ask ourselves is, are the actions I take aligned with what's important to me. And it, it's I think it's important to call that out too, that it's not uh, it's not just about work. It can also be about how we're spending our time. You know, example, like scrolling social media or something for a couple hours. If that's an action that's in conflict to what's important to you or it's taking you away from, from things that you want to do, again, that's going to add to that sense of imbalance. So finally, that third bucket. And again, this is just how I organize it, right? That third bucket. Um, so I've talked about disconnection. I've talked about misalignment. That third bucket is this sort of time realism or this time intentionality. And often people think that this is it. You know, we they think that this is the problem. You know, there aren't enough hours in a day. But again, we all have 24 hours. Um, and it's this question of, you know, do we have realistic expectations of our time? Time and or do we spend our time intentionally? You know, especially in this past couple of years, we've had so many more expectations on our time. You know, we've had to homeschool, we're taking care of aging parents. Like, yeah, when I talk about realistic expectations, there's a few things that contribute to that. A, human beings, we underestimate how much time it will take, how much time a task will take. So leaders underestimate, individuals underestimate. And the other part is like we want to do so many things. We want to go to all the soccer practices, the kids' soccer practices, the soccer games. We want to do book club, yoga, exercise exercise, work, domestic duties, like all these things. Like, again, are we being realistic? Like, can we actually do all these things? So, and then again, like intentionality, like, are we intentionally using our time and spending our time? We have to ask ourselves, like, again, going back to the sort of that even social media, if I think about that, that some people may find that's a form of self-care. But again, I think we can just ask ourselves, you know, does what I'm doing contribute or detract from the life I want? Or does that contribute or detract from that feeling of satisfaction? So what are these three buckets? I just, again, I offer them as a way just to sort of reframe this work-life imbalance. Jody, it's interesting. Uh, one of my uh, former classmates from the MBA program at Ivy, Santos, Santos Lee, he offered a really interesting nuance around uh, the things that you, uh, you're proposing. And he asked me to 
rephrase instead of work-life balance. He asked me reconsider it as life work. And with just that tiny little switch, you start realizing that the misalignment, the time realism, and then this connection, how it gets a completely new meaning. And then it, it forced me to reevaluate everything that I was doing, not only just what I was doing at work, but in a holistic fashion, how everything was coming together. Shaquille, let's let's pick up this conversation and uh, push it forward. In your work as an executive coach, what nuances about work-life imbalance have you detected? And it would be lovely if you can share some uh, examples. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Thank you. Really love what you said, uh, Jody. And uh, just to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from uh, the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Nation here in Ottawa. Jody, I, that was such a great way of organizing and framing the conversation. The nuances that are important. You know, one of the things that I come across in my coaching conversations with my clients, first, I just want to acknowledge how lucky we are. I mean, the clients that I deal with are very fortunate in that they are in a position where they can explore uh, these choices about work-life balance and nuances. You know, not everybody is in a state of life where they feel like they have those choices. Given that, I have found with clients, it's a question of control. This feeling I don't have control over my time. I don't have control over my life. I don't have control over my choices. And what I've discovered with my clients, in fact, my favorite moment as a coach is when through questioning and conversation, the light bulb goes off for my coaching clients where they realize, ah, I have more control than I realized. And so for me, the nuance comes around this question of control. What do I have control over? What don't I have control over? And if you can start framing the question this way and say, um, Jody, you talked about a definition of what is happiness for me. It's similar to the question of if I don't like the situation I'm in now, whether it's because I'm not spending enough time with my family or I'm working too long hours or my physical or mental health is being impacted. A lot of people can benefit from just thinking about what do I want instead of that? And I run into a lot of people that don't actually haven't taken the time to define, I don't like what I have now, but they haven't defined what they want instead. And once you take the time to say, what do I want instead? Then the next question that we, we ask and we, we discuss is, what about that situation, that future state that I want instead? What about that can't I control? What can't I do to impact that? Actually put that down, list it first. And then I physically use my hands and say, okay, now you have that list, move that list to the side. And now identify what can I do, right? So I may not be able to uh, change my boss and the expectations they put on me. I may not be able to change the hours I work because it might be the nature of the demand. You know, for example, if you're working in healthcare right now, very hard to control some of those things. But you may be able to control how you articulate what you're looking for, what challenges you're facing. And once you put that out there to the world, to your boss, to your coworkers and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I want instead. You're now creating a situation where other people can perhaps help you. And so for me, it's around those nuances of what can you do? What can't you do is an important one. And the other one that is an important nuance is, am I, am I actually expressing it? I may know what's important to me, but am I suffering in silence? Or or am I actually articulating it to people that this is what I'm looking for? Because if you don't tell it, tell people that you're struggling and you just put on a brave face all the time, can't really blame other people for taking advantage of that. 
because they look like you can handle it. That's the nuance I talk about. Shaquille, before we get into some of the examples that um, you may have prepared for us, there's a question that comes to my mind as I'm listening to you. These are very powerful questions that you're inviting people to ask themselves, right? At the beginning, the way that uh, I understood the the concept of work-life balance is the sustainable fashion of doing so. I suspect the questions that we are posing people are not difficult questions. Uh, and there are also uh, questions that people will immediately nod and say, yes, 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 I understand that. What, in your perspectives, makes people forget these questions? And what is it that people slip out of, of this reflective, unself-aware moment? That pushes them into momentary imbalances. In fact, the answer is actually, sim- again, sim- simple to talk about, hard to do. People forget the routines of taking time for reflection. I always talk about reflection at, in three stages, before, during, and after. If we know the circumstances in which we have difficulty with, for example, work-life alignment, where we get sucked in and drawn in, typically in the moment we know in our head, it's happening again. It's about taking that moment to say, when, when, when you, that comes up in your brain, it's happening again, to say it out loud, it's happening again. Even if you're just talking to yourself and acknowledging it, that you're feeling that emotion of I'm getting sucked in again, I'm getting taken advantage of again. Um, and when you're about to go into a circumstance where those kinds of situations happen, say before you go into the circumstance, on your way to the meeting, just before the Zoom call starts, let me remember to acknowledge when I'm feeling like I'm getting sucked in again. It's just those reminders, taking that 30 seconds for reminders about how these situations make us feel, acknowledging them. And then, of course, after the fact, when you've left a situation and you feel like I just got taken advantage of or I've just made some commitments that are outside, not being realistic, as uh, Jody said, is taking the moment to say it happened again. And then what can I do about it right now? And that comes back to control. What can't I do? What can I do? What can I do right now to change the circumstance before it goes on too long? I'm not sure if that's helpful, but it is a discipline. It is a discipline of taking time to reflect. I find it helpful. I appreciate that. Thank you. Jody, what are your thoughts about these? Yeah, those are great points, uh, Shaquille. And I love that you were talking about this control and having this awareness of, you know, taking that time for reflection and and really examining what we do control. And I think, and and the more stress we have, we sort of get into this sort of narrow-minded thinking. You know, these things that we can do to help us is maybe there's a way that we can have a visual to help remind us of what's important to us. We take that time, maybe we take some time every, every day to just reconnect with that. Or, you know, again, we really need to have that clear vision, you know, take the time to have that clear idea, that clear vision of what's important and sharing that Shaquille, you brought that up, you know, sharing that with other people, um, you know, sort of using cheerleaders, you know, the people who care about you, even leaders, your teammates, you know, share that, share what's important to you with other people. Part of your reflection, Shaquille, I know you sort of looked at what almost like the negative part of it, but also taking that time to reflect of like, oh, what are the positive things? You know, what are the positive things that I'm receiving? Because that does help shift this, this feeling. We don't want to be stuck in that negative. Negative. I, I think this is a really great activity that this alignment, when I talk about that alignment, you know, a good exercise is to, to like for one or two weeks, just track where your time is gone. 
in half hour increments, just for awareness, you know, just write it down and, you know, don't be like, okay, eight hours of work, like try and really label each half an hour of that work to just to see. And this, again, I think this is a a great activity. It's what I do with a lot of my uh, clients. This just gives us some awareness of how, where are we spending that time and how did I feel in that time? And, you know, is there a way that I can reposition my time, my hours in, in these activities that, that do feel good to me? That's helpful, you know, engaging in those activities that do sort of fill our bucket a bit. What you're saying, Jody, is making me think of specific examples. You know, I think about teams that I've worked with in the past and, you know, just pick, I won't name names, but I think about two people on my team. Both of them worked really hard. Both of them might say they they really struggle with work-life balance. One person has um, intense work, but they've also got intense activities outside of work. Another one has intense work and has no activities outside of work. Guess one, guess what happens, right? The person that doesn't have any activities outside of work, work expands to fill the entire day and evening. Yeah. But the person that at least has committed to doing things outside of work hours, as stressful as it might be to schedule things to do those things outside of work hours, it forces them to put some boundaries. And so one of the things that I reflect on is to think about what can I actually do when I'm feeling too much work, what can I do to actually schedule time to do something else outside of work? And that constraint theory will help me kind of put some boundaries and close, you know, I have to be out of here by 5.05 because I booked to go to the gym at 5.30. And so create those constraints for yourself. Um, Shakira and Jody, uh, something really, I think, um, struck with me as I was listening to you. Jody, when you invited us to take a, a period of time, I think you mentioned two weeks, to just keep a record of how an increments of half an hour or how our times are being spent, I chuckled a little bit internally and I'm like, I don't need to do that. My calendar just shows zoom, 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 zoom all the way. But then I stopped and realized that, yes, I go to like, yeah, but I don't have a good record of what I do in the evening. So my mind went around that and I realized that what I usually do is that I decompress. So my evenings are actually spent around decompression, re-energizing, and that comes with, of course, like a heck of a lot of Netflix. And, and then the activities that re-energize me and prepare me for yet another grunt day tomorrow. But what you are proposing is, is very different. You're actually proposing to think carefully the purpose in my non-work activities as well. Yes. Am I correct understanding that? Yes, absolutely. So Yes, track that time. And Mazi, I'm so glad you pointed that out. Track the time fully. And also, you know, yes, you may have a grunt day at work, but if you are if you are clear on what sort of fills you up, like if, again, like I can use myself as an example, like I get filled up when I get to help people or I get to talk to people. Is there an opportunity where I can bring more of that into my day? Is there an opportunity, you know, and yes, to track those half hours. Yeah, to track the time, not separating work from life. Life is life. You know, we all have this constraints of 20, for hours. What does this look like? You know, that decompression time, that Netflix, you know, do it, does it take me two hours, three hours to decompress? Can I go for a walk in half an hour that helps me decompress? And Shaquille, I just want to pick up on something that you said, you know, you said, um, you know, this, I'm a big fan of, I'm a huge fan of time blocking. Like it has been a, a life changer for me. I have in my schedule half hours of like, do nothing, do nothing daydream and like really sort of planning my day that way you know the flip side of that activity that I shared of like tracking the time for every half an hour another thing that you can do that that some people find helpful to sort of look at this time realism piece is write down everything that you want to do in a week 
like write down everything like for me and this uh, you don't have to do it in half hours you can do it in like hours but for me I was like I want to have eight hours of sleep every night and I want to have nine hours of sleep on the weekends and I want to spend this many this many hours working out so it's sort of like a where the last one I had had you look at past you know maybe try and be proactive and plan and just look and see okay actually do I have realistic, do I, am I actually being realistic? Like, like we only have, you know, 168 hours in a week. Can I actually do all these things? And if there's, if there's not, you know, maybe we don't have to be at every soccer practice, or, you know, maybe we can take turns with another player's parent or, you know, domestically, I think this is a big one domestically, you know, if you're in a household where you and your partner both work full time, you know, are you both contributing equally to the household duties? And if not, you know, is it could this be a conversation like there's all these sort of different pieces around it yeah there's a there's a lot of a lot of good bits in there i appreciate that i i have a question for i'm going to start with shaquille and see maybe jody if you'd like to come in at the end of this piece as well uh, shaquille you, you you've brought the notion of control several times so this is a critical um, related to that means having choice so we can control but that may not be true for everyone Mm-hmm. People may not, first of all, they may feel that they don't have control. And in reality, they may not have a lot of mm-hmm. control. Um, they have to work two jobs. They have to come home and they have the demands of um, a family will uh, be just right upon them right away. So they can't go to the gym. They cannot decompress. They cannot do nothing. Um, some of the advices that we're sharing with them. Um, how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of the fact that control or choice may not be available for everyone. Yeah, no, no, it's a very, very important uh, point to acknowledge is is that, you know, there are definitely some people due to circumstances, positive circumstances in their life, the way things have worked out, they have a lot more control than do others. And some people go through crisis situations where for a period of time, they don't have control. I would say that everybody has a lot more control than they believe they do. First of all, now for some, that will be just incrementally more for others. It's a lot more. But, you know, we should acknowledge people that are in situations, extreme poverty, for example, uh, that find it very difficult um, uh, to, to, to get a sense of control. Having said that, without getting into the whole story, you know, having been to rural parts of Africa, seeing communities where there is extreme poverty, I have actually met people that despite being on the treadmill, They have found the extra 10 minutes, 15 minutes of time to think about what could they do differently and have actually transformed their lives, not by themselves, but by expressing to other people, here's what they want to change in their life and getting help from others to do that. Now, again, not everybody is going to have those resources available. So let's acknowledge, acknowledge that more is possible than you realize when you start asking the questions, what could I do? What could I do instead of what can't I do only? Right. This was this was a really um, a pertinent point for me when you raised at the beginning that a lot of us we know what we don't want, but we're not as clear as what is it that we want. Right. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Tony, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah. No, I agree, Shaquille. That's beautifully said. Yeah. That control. You know, what can I control? What you know, I can control my thoughts. I can control some things, and I think that that's beautifully put. Of you know, where is that shift of of thinking? So yeah, I think you. I think you said it beautifully. Uh, I like to offer a slight shift in in the dialogue a little bit. Um, We have been so far in the last 30 minutes or so um, seeing the story from the perspective of being the victim of the demands of working life. But I suspect that all of us will also contribute to the demands of other people's uh, life, right? So so we are at work. uh, We may have uh, people who work on our teams uh, at, at home. 
we have people that we may uh, be responsible for or to. And then the question is, how can we build that level of awareness that can help us I don't want to say control, but but bring some positive influence in other people's work-life balances or imbalances. Let, Jordi, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Shekhyo. Yeah, I think we each have a responsibility. So we're, we've talked so far about, you know, what we can do, but there's other things that, you know, we, we have to understand that we live in relationships. We, we live in relation to others. So I think, you know, having these conversations, sharing our own, um, you know, sharing what's important to us with others. If you're a leader, you know, taking the time to understand what's important to the people around you, um, you know, finding out, I, th- I think that's important, you know, search for alignment, search for those opportunities to create that sort of win-win or, you know, also as a leader or even just as an individual, I think just asking ourselves, like, am I more focused on, am I focused on an objective or am I more focused on a process? So- Or a task. Yeah. Yeah. A task. Like, like, can I, can I care more about an end result than I do about how they got there? You know, it's the same thing. Like, and even if I think about that on a personal level, you know, like, is there space for flexibility on a personal level? You know, it saved me lots of arguments on how to load the dishwasher with my head. Like, it's like, what do I care about how the dishwasher is loaded or whatever? Yeah, I think boundaries, you know, boundaries, this idea of boundaries of like a boundary is the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. You know, so we have to practice setting and honoring boundaries for ourselves, but also for others, you know, like we have to respect other people's boundaries and understand that, hey, as a leader, maybe I'm not going to send a text at 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. You know, Shaquille, what do you have to add? Because yeah, I'd, I'd love to pick up on that point. I'm going to get very specific and I'm going to draw on real, real client examples here. Um, I had a client who was talking about how important it was to set an example or send the message to the team about work-life balance balance, setting boundaries. Uh, And as he was talking about, he was looking for help on how to articulate to his team how important it is to do work-life balance. But when we reframed the conversation, he came to this realization that I'm saying the words, but I'm not behaving in alignment. It's so cliche. Our actions speak louder than our words. When you say to your team, it's important to, you know, get some rest at night and don't take on too much work and you know don't send emails all the time you can say that in words but then you have to look at your own behavior when you say them in words but you don't behave in them it sounds like just hr policy speak you're doing it because you were told to i had this client that realized in our conversation that said i'm actually sending more powerful messages because i will send an email at 6 in the morning it just happens to be convenient for me because i'm up and i'm on my treadmill but what message am i sending to somebody else The other message that people don't think about is the words we use to praise our colleagues, coworkers, the people that report to us. When we only praise those people that work really long hours to get heroic efforts done, to get a deal completed, and you celebrate that person, sure, the person deserves some celebration for their hard work. But what message are you sending to the other people that aren't able or want to work those extremely long hours? What would it look like to also reward people that manage to actually get a job done really well, but within a certain boundary or time frame? So I think as leaders, we have to look at what is our own behavior and does it align with the words? And we also have to recognize who are we rewarding and acknowledging publicly for their contributions to the work. Rewarding people that behave in some kind of work-life alignment way is a very powerful way to send messages on, on what is good behavior. There, there's an interesting book by um, a sociologist at Stanford University, uh, Jeff Pfeffer. The book title is called Dying for the Paycheck. Mm-hmm. And he, 
highlights in some instances, in some cultures and corporations, this, this game of demonstrating how busy one is. And that impression of how busy you are, um, A, might give power to people. Uh, or at least the illusion of power, and B, may actually fend off uh, excess requests coming to them. And this has turned into, it's it's almost a negative uh, reinforcing cycle that creates a very toxic environment. And all people do is just simply complete tasks, checklists, and, and keep busy for the sake of being busy, not direct relationships to, to being productive or being progressive. And it sounds like that we may benefit from recognizing that um, there are innovative and creative ways that we can actually still get things done, both in our lives and at work, without just uh, buying into this game of being busy for the sake of busyness. You know, my my favorite example of that, Mazi, if I can just jump in here, you know, I was talking to somebody about reading or podcasts, and they said, I don't know how you find the time to stay current or, you know, on what's happening in the world. I don't have any time just to kind of work. I said, well, do you go for a walk? Said, yeah, I have a dog. I go for a walk. I said, well, you know, are, are there certain ways to integrate into your walk reflection time? One example that I learned from a fellow uh, Ivy coach actually is start your walk with a specific deliberate question you want to ask about yourself. What can I do to be more productive this week? What can I do to be more in service to myself this week? And start your walk with that question with the goal that at the end of the half an hour walk, you've come up with a couple of things. So using that time more productively. Another thing, listen to a podcast. Pick a podcast that is educational around work-life balance or stress management. There's such great content. Listen to this one again, by the way, uh, as you're taking a walk. So there's ways of integrating activities into our time to actually use our time more wisely. Tony, uh, let's stay with this concept of uh, responsibility to ourselves and, and, of course, to the members of our not just team, but family and friends around us, right? So I, I think that we need to uh, keep in mind that we are... In, in, in social settings, both at work and outside of work. Um, what advice do you have for people? Maybe you can draw from some of the examples that you've had with your clients. What advice do you have for people in recognizing that they are both responsible and accountable for others' work-life balances as well? It's, you know, this dialogue, just having this conversation and being in the space of, of expressing our own needs to others and mm-hmm. hearing others' needs that is, you know, this, that, that, that's a, that's a key thing. And I think that we're often, we're the ones who put limitations on ourselves or put boundaries or these expectations on ourselves sometimes. Um, so yeah, having those conversations with others, I think the, the, the awareness and the acceptance of realistic, like being realistic for both, you know, just, again, yeah, it's a dialogue. I think it's these conversations. So what you're proposing, if I, if I understand you correctly, is is uh, having dialogues beyond just the task at hand. Oh, yeah. Sharing with people, like, what is important to me? What's meaningful to me? What's important to them? What's meaningful yeah. to them? What what looks, what what is, um, what are, what boundaries do they have? What are, what, uh, again, going onto these things of, um, rather than the, then the the process or the the task is looking at like what's an objective like what do we all want like what are the shared things that we want and how can we how can we find these and again having those dialogues it's not just about the the task and that that works that functions you're, you're proposing there also functions 
in the family and with friends and with the community as well, right? You know, I know this is a term that we bandy about a lot lately, and that is psychological safety, right? Mm -hmm. Is, are you, as a leader, are you creating an environment on your team that people feel comfortable enough to speak up when they're struggling, when they're having a hard time? Uh, and uh, some of you, some of the, the viewers may have come across this study that Google did, uh, Project Aristotle, where they identified what were the predictors of uh, teams that work really well together, that are highly productive. And they went through a lot of little experiments and they landed on them. Psychological safety was the number one driver on whether a team was high, high performing. So then the next question is, well, how do you create psychological safety? The number one way of creating psychological safety is when the leader expresses their vulnerability. When the leader says out loud that I'm actually finding it difficult to manage all that's on my plate, I actually don't know what to do here. And when the leader does that, it creates a safe place for other individuals to one, offer advice and support the leader, but also feel comfortable speaking up themselves and saying, you know what, I'm also struggling. You're not alone here. And so I think that is a really important part of this work-life balance as a leader to set a stage in a context where people feel comfortable speaking up. Ask for help. Why do we not ask for help? And, you know, and ask others how we can help them. You know, that that could be in our dialogue every day. Like, how can I help you, you know, to create that space? And and for ourselves, yes, ask for help. We, I think, yeah, it's, that's a whole other conversation. But um, yes, Anastasia just said asking for help also builds trust for sure. You know, we don't, we, again, we live in relation. We are in relationships. We can accomplish things together, you know, much further than we can apart. Yeah. One of the favorite things I've heard from Brene Brown is this idea of the balance, the, the fine line between courage and vulnerability. Being vulnerable is courageous. And when we reframe it that way, it somehow emboldens us and say, hey, I am a good leader because I'm being courageous. That's what a leader should be. Yeah, being courageous by being vulnerable, very, very powerful, powerful um, uh, acceptance to realize that they're basically the same, the two sides of the same coin. You know, you it just reminds me of a very specific story. I had a person on my team in the past that they got so much joy from working. They believed in the, look, there's lots of people that work in nonprofit and really believe in the cause, right? The mission, the purpose of what they're doing. They will give all of their time and energy to that purpose because they believe in it. I think, in fact, sometimes when you force those people to not work after hours, you're actually hurting themselves, hurting them because they believe so passionately in what they're doing. So what you have to say in that space is actually... Being kind to that person means not bothering them or not giving them a hard time about working long hours because that's actually bringing meaning to their life. Mm -hmm. But what you can do to the others in the organization and say, just because they do that doesn't mean you have to do that, right? Making it safe and okay for people to feel like they don't have to emulate those people that are working long hours mm -hmm. and putting that on the table. And I, and I, there's a real person I worked with that I struggled with that. I kept trying to make her change her behavior and yeah. stop sending emails at night, stop working. And then all of a sudden the light bulb went off. I said, if I force her to do that, I'm actually hurting her mental health because she loves what she's doing so much that by stopping her, like it caused her great pain to take vacation because she loved what she did so much. And so accept it, but name it so that other people don't feel like they have to meet up to that standard. And I think that there are also some things uh, that that person can do or the leader can do with that person say, yes, do all this and maybe put a, you know, send later, you know, and, and send it in the morning Absolutely. so that you're not sending this message to everyone like, hey, or setting this expectation. Absolutely. Um, because, yeah, I agree with you, you know, 
and it goes back to that understanding what's important to us. You know, if that's, if that's what really brings meaning to my life, yes. You know, but this struggle of work-life imbalance sometimes comes across as like, well, we're not leveraging and we're not, A, we might not be clear or we're, we're just not uh, organizing our lives in that way where we, we do spend time doing the things that are important to us. Yeah, there's, it's, a, it's a great conversation and, and there's so much around it. And again, you know, a few things that we can do, just the, the boundaries and the, you know, the asking for help. And, and, you know, of course, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with others, because this is, it's a different time. You know, yeah. we, we have other expectations. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, these are different times as well, of course. And, and some advice that may work for you may not work for other people and vice versa, right? So we have to be cautious. How do you recognize warning signs in your teams that they're working too much or perhaps heading for burnout and how do you want to intervene i'd like to open this to both of you and and see if you have any if you can provide some practical responses to this very interesting question yeah. i go i mean it's yeah, something, so go that, for it. I'll, something I'll that i actually think about quite a bit and you know both um in my previous work but also i'm a, a board chair right now in the community and i always start my meetings with some kind of check-in uh, and I call it my early indicator system, right? Whether it be, hey, everybody, before we get started on a scale of one to 10, just give us a number. How are you feeling today? 10 being fantastic, one being really low. Just simple question to get people sharing them, sharing the numbers. Or give us a word that describes how you're feeling today. Give us two words how you feel today. Give us an emoticon. So it gives an opportunity to get some indicators. Now, sometimes you may not be able to dive in in the group setting on some of these, but you make a note and say, oh, this person said there are three today. I don't want to embarrass them and draw it out in this conversation, but I do want to follow up with them. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is, look, just pay attention to your people. When you notice short tempers, when you notice the circles under the eyes, when you notice these sighs of exasperation, pay attention to those sounds and don't just sweep them under the rug. Make a note of them, come back to them. Respect people's privacy, but do come back to them. It sounds simple. Pay attention, it is. look at your people, listen to what they're doing and what they're not doing. Watch the body language, listen to the sounds they make. So, so important. And you can do that on Zoom and you can do that live. Just pay attention. Might I add that that also functions very well with friends and family? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It goes back to my earlier point of really connecting with people, finding out what's what, finding out, like, yeah, establishing that trust, building a true relationship with people. Um, and then, of course, witnessing it and, and um, yeah, having that conversation. So on that note, thank you, everyone. Until next time, we'll be meeting. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We'd like to extend further thanks to our guests for taking the time to share the knowledge and insights with us. The Ivy Academy podcast is produced by Melissa Welsh, Sean Ecklin-Grant and Joanna Shepard, editing an audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe for similar content in the future. Please visit ivyacademy.ca or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram using the handle at ivyacademy. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe for similar content in the future. You can also learn about our organization, the Ivy Academy, and check out all our activities, events, and programs. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you with us for the next episode.